it's always great to be able to introduce a fantastic debut writer and book. And today I'm really thrilled because I'm introducing to you a writer of an absolute page turner. The book is called Every Line of You and the writer is Naomi Gibson. It's going to be published by Chicken House in August. So you are very welcome. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. It's really nice to be here. (laughs) I think we need to get to know a bit about you, first of all. I mean, have you always enjoyed writing? Yeah, so books have always been a massive part of my life, actually. I actually grew up without a TV. I didn't have a TV till I was about um, 11 or 12. So I remember I've got massive memories of my mum picking us up after school and taking us straight to the library. And we did that like, you know, two, two or three times a week. So I think it was always natural to me to try and write my own stories when I was younger. Um, and I always loved doing that. You know, like when you're in primary school, that kind of thing is, is encouraged a lot more, isn't it? That when you get to high school, it's kind of a focus is on exams. So you kind of lose that creativity. Um, so, yeah, I forgot about it for quite a while, to be honest. Um, and I started trying to um, become a quantity surveyor. And then I was <laughs> realised that I was... I wasn't getting any fulfillment out of it and I was quite unhappy and my husband sat me down and he said you know well what would make you happy and I decided to take myself uh, to writing classes at a local college and that was where I pretty much learned how to write properly you know the sort of old um, rules like show don't tell uh, character arcs character development plotting that kind of thing Um, and I did that for about two years and it was so I actually got my idea for this book did you have to submit a manuscript for, to that or was it more informal? Oh, it was it was really informal. It was just a little character development class really that we did. And we all got given little bags of items and we had to make a character around those items. Um, and in mine, there was things like a, a box of fuses, a screwdriver. And I, that was how I came up with this um, sort of teen hacker uh, idea and then we had to fill out a character questionnaire which I had never done before and it was just like you know Chris because you sometimes you think like oh do I really need to know their middle name do I really need to know when their birthday is but actually when you do it pulls out so much more for you and I worked out uh, my main character's home life based on that and I, I you know at that point I knew that there was a death in the family that was hanging over them all at that point I knew she had a bad relationship with her mum and I knew that um her dad was missing and she was bullied at school and that was um pretty much how I came up with my main character and then so you take all that sort of emotional uh, home life and then you couple I coupled it with that hacker element and that was kind of how I brought my idea together. So the character that we're talking about is somebody called Lydia in the mm-hmm. story perhaps you could set the story up for us tell us what it's about. So it's a thriller and it's about a very lonely girl who creates her own artificial intelligence to love her and Lydia my main character at the beginning, you, you learn how lonely she is. She's painfully lonely, really. It's kind of her defining characteristic. And um, she's really overlooked and she's bullied and she's second fiddle to her brother who died, which you can't really compete with. And so she's this really, you know, sort of downtrodden character, but she's also incredibly clever. And she's made um, this artificial intelligence, Henry, who she began coding with her dad. So it was kind of like this thing they did together. And then after he left, she carried on doing it because she didn't know what else to do. And as Henry gains sentience, he sees that Lydia is downtrodden. She's bullied. You know, no one really looks out for her. And he becomes that person who does look out for her. And he really doesn't like how 
people are mean to her and he is quite quick to discipline anybody who is mean to her and it, the book evolves to this point where Lydia is sort of having great fun with Henry putting people right who were once mean to her getting revenge and then it becomes very much that Henry has his own agenda and she has to decide how much she's going to fall in line with it and how much she wants to help him see that succeed. Mm, there's a dark sort of twist mm-hmm. to that isn't there just to get us going it'll be lovely if you could read to her i'll read my prologue out to you nice and short and snappy the screen in front of me flickers with numbers and letters waiting for one final keystroke we were meant to press enter together we were meant to cement this final moment of our years-long weekend project by pressing the enter key at the same time now dad's gone All I have left are the monitors, circuit boards, and piles of textbooks scattered around my room. I brush tears from my eyes and refuse to let more fall. My finger hovers over the key. I take a deep, shuddering breath and hit enter. I watch as my latest code is integrated into the core program. It zooms up the screen as if someone is slurping it through a straw. The monitors go blank. My heart pounds. What's happened? I peer into the webcam. Hello? On the central monitor, a white cursor blossoms into existence. A thrill ripples through me. Words begin to appear as if invisible fingers are using my keyboard. Who are you? I sit up straighter. It worked, it actually worked. I'm Lydia. Lydia, his processor purrs as it considers the word. You are Lydia. What is my name? I'm shaking. I thought of a name months ago, but I never thought I'd get to say it out loud again. I glance at the picture on my bedside table. A little boy with hair the colour of sunshine. Henry, I say. Your name is Henry. Mm, She's named him after her deceased brother. brother. Mm. (laughs) It was interesting when you were setting up the story because I think you even use the word person when you were describing Henry but he's not a person is he Mm. to begin with he's just wires and chips and all the rest of it Mm -hmm. and I was thinking about that I know there are you know in literature there are examples of computers that are kind of humanized there's the computer in 2001 you know how but it struck me how it must be quite a challenge to write a character that isn't really anything. I actually quite enjoyed it. Um, I thought you had to really rely on other things to bring out his personality. And I did that by giving him a really distinct speech pattern as well. Um, I think you can really see that it's Henry saying something on the page. Um, He's someone who doesn't really use, you know, conjoined words like don't. He's definitely someone who'd say do not. He's not someone who'd say it's, it's definitely, it is. Um, So him and Lydia kind of bounce off each other in that way she's you know obviously a teen she she uses a lot of slang he's he's way more formal than that so that was one way um, I brought out his character um but also another way that I had quite good fun with was just that 
I was like, he's an AI. He can do absolutely anything. He can buy anything. I was like, he's going to have expensive taste. You know what I mean? And at several points in the book, he does things for Lydia. And it's like, he loves spending money that he doesn't have. You know, he he takes that money from somewhere else. And he's just like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll go and buy this big thing that you can't really afford or some people can only afford once in a lifetime. And um, so, yeah, that was definitely good fun to pull out as well. But also there's this quite vengeful side to him. And I think that was also quite fun to, to pull out. Because it's interesting, you couldn't, unlike your character development for Lydia, where you had to fill in your questionnaire and you have all this backstory, mm-hmm. you will never have a backstory. It's been no. created as you go along. Yeah. Um, but he's a quick learner. Oh my gosh, yeah, definitely. His self-development is is very quick. But, you know, I think that's realistic for an AI. I think I talk about these things because I do actually think that they will happen one day. I think that there will be um, an AI who is cleverer than us. And that at one point is, is will be quite worrying, I think. Um, but their self-development will definitely go from A to B incredibly quickly. Mm. I guess it depends what we mean by clever. And we should get into that in a little <laughs> bit more. Um, sure. But uh, before we do that, I want to ask your quantity surveyor by mm-hmm. training. Did you have to do much research? It doesn't strike me as this would automatically take you into this realm. So did you have to do much research? Um, I did for, for some of it, yeah. So my husband is actually um, a huge nerd <laughs> there's this there's an area of youtube called TechTube, and there's all these people who post about things like um space quantum computing um ai um technology and consumer technology generally and he has always got something on and as i live here too it just kind of passes through my my head i pick up on all these things too but i have always found um ai to be fascinating and i was already aware of quite a few issues around ai so i didn't really do much research in that respect but in terms of hacking um yeah i definitely went and had a look at how to go about hacking something <laughs> and that was quite a good rabbit hole to fall down you know it's good procrastination isn't it when you go researching for writing you fall down these rabbit holes um but yeah so hacking was quite good fun and um, I haven't ever put it into practice what I learned but I wanted to demonstrate quite early on that Lydia knows what she's doing and in order for her to demonstrate that I had to go and make sure I knew vaguely what I was talking about but also though I felt like if I could demonstrate that she can hack you gain believability that she then might also be able to build an AI because I don't know how to build an AI, but I could go out and learn. I could figure out how to hack something. And mm. um, so it, it, it just lends itself really to, to her character as well, this research that I wanted the reader to believe that she was incredibly clever. So I showed how she might do something a bit easy. And then hopefully that lent itself to doing something a lot harder. Mm. But when I was writing it, I was quite careful not to be too technical because, you know, there's a lot of sci-fi books that really go into detail about the the hyperdrive and how it might work and things like that. And I think as a reader, I gloss over those. And so I was quite careful what I put into it because I didn't want to alienate any of my readers and I wanted it to be nice and digestible. So when I try and describe hacking, I I try to be more descriptive than technical. Dear listener. No government websites were hacked in the making of this book. <laughs> yeah, promise. <laughs> I think what, what really comes across, what keeps you turning the page is the excitement of what they're actually doing with the skills that they have. But mm-hmm. there was one bit 
where I it's very specific and I just want to ask you whether it's possible and that was where a chip was being inserted into a body and how it kind of connected with the neural system in the body. Um, (laughs) I would never say never because you know there's probably someone somewhere in a government lab with lots of experimenting going on but um, for me that was definitely where my creative license took over and that was definitely part of like what we were saying before about an AI's self-development they would definitely be looking for the next step and that was that made sense to me that that would be what Henry was looking for but actually I found out after reading the book that um, Elon Musk has this company because he's quite vocal about AI as well and he's quite afraid of it he's trying to take the angle that an AI and and humanity might uh, merge and so he's created this company where I think he's done it on a pig. I'm not 100% sure, so don't quote me, but I think he has done it on a pig where he has inserted a chip into their brain to help them become more intelligent, I think. Mm. Um, And I think the idea is also that you would eventually do that to humans so that you wouldn't have this AI running around trying to overtake humanity. You would have them work with you. So we're into the area of what would be called cyborgs there aren't we where uh, yeah you a are kind of merging of yeah but you know people. it's interesting because you already are kind of a cyborg because you have a um you know a smartphone attached to your hand pretty much <laughs> a lot of the time and that can tell you anything you know it wouldn't be vastly different to then have a chip in your brain that told you everything instead so there Ooh, you go <laughs> my goodness me it does deal with some really interesting uh issues and I think one of them mm-hmm. is around control and mm-hmm. maybe that's where our anxieties come from with AI is who's going to be in control and there's a sort of shifting of that yeah absolutely story, isn't there a back backwards and forwards of that so yeah it definitely starts off where Lydia is the one in the driving seat and it, it's Henry who totally takes over at a certain point but I read a book a while ago this is probably probably before I wrote the book as well um called The Psychopath Test by John Ronson and it's a narrative um, non-fiction about what is a psychopath and how do you go about finding them (laughs) basically and um, it was was fascinating because there's a lot of similarities between an AI and a psychopath so a psychopath if you know just to clarify is someone who who doesn't have the capacity to feel guilt and so um, whilst they may not be inclined to go out murdering a lot of people you know you might find a psychopath in an, in your workplace who is quite happy to throw you under the bus in order for them to get ahead and that is kind of your more regular psychopath <laughs> but what the, the the key point is that they don't feel guilt and they have a, a distinct lack of compassion and there's this um parallel to ais between having not having any guilt and that is something that is is a big theme in the book in terms of henry wanting to do uh, quite a lot of things and he's he's raring to go and Lydia has to kind of decide how 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 far she's going to go along with him and that is where it comes down to this control element because it really does become Henry in the driving seat and he is not held back by the same moral compass that a person would be and she has to kind of um, teach him how far is okay and how far do we do we actually go and in in order to do that she has to rein in some of her own instincts you know to yeah uh, you know there is a danger of that overwhelming her and she has to pull back from some of that mm-hmm. but he is also partially driven by empathy so there's a sort of paradox in there because actually yeah. he's driven by an empathy for her 
Yeah, he's extremely interested in her. (laughs) 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 Towards the end, without giving any spoilery things away, Lydia becomes very aware of what she has made. And I was thinking about how you can pour your heart and soul into something um, without really realising how much of yourself you might have put into it. Mm. And so I think she is somebody who created this AI coming from a place where she was definitely doing it for a purpose, whether she realized it or not. And Henry is someone who responded to that. And so, yes, he is incredibly empathetic towards her. I don't think he would be empathetic towards anyone else. It comes down to her, I think. He's not in it for humanity. He's in it for her. I can say it's completely gripping, um, you know, as he evolves uh, it, it's just really compelling storytelling. I wanted to ask you about some of the decisions to do with the writing. Mm-hmm. So Lydia has this traumatic incident in her life. We learn about it fairly early on. Her brother's uh, being killed in a car accident. Her uh, father has disappeared and her mother's gone into a sort of, not depression, she's still working, but you know she, has, she hasn't processed it Mm -hmm. at this point and I was interested in how you chose to reveal that part of the story you interspersed it through the main narrative how did you come to that decision and how did you consider how much to reveal at each point uh, of Mm -hmm. the storytelling I wanted to involve flashbacks because after I had done all that character development, I realised that this is something huge that has happened to her. And this is something that would be bothering her on like a daily basis, whether she wanted it to or not. So it's going to come back to her in nightmares. Uh, It's going to come back to her when she's daydreaming, you know, just when she's not consciously thinking of it, it's going to be there. Um, And because my book was written in first person, it made sense to involve it. And it made sense to put it in the narrative in some form. So I included it quite early on. um, And then as the book goes on, the flashback becomes more detailed and you learn a few more things. And I did it that way because you kind of want to tease the reader a little bit. Do you know what I mean? You kind of want to pull them through. So they learn, they get questions answered a little bit, but they have more come up. So they're kind of more compelled to read on. And so I didn't want to give away all my cards in the first Mm. flashback. Um, And also for me, I I knew I was probably going to be rewriting it a few times because it's something that is bothering her. So I didn't want to, for me as well, also while I was writing, I didn't want to just be like copying and pasting what happened last time. I wanted it to come out kind of naturally. And also I think as it goes on, she remembers different things. And I think those are in response to uh, events that have happened in those chapters. So Oh, I don't know if I could, I want to make a spoiler here. (laughs) Well, for instance, there are things that, you know, when Emma, the girl who's creating difficulties for her at school, I mean, she's in the car as well, isn't she, when they have this accident. And we don't really have much sympathy for her at some parts of the story. But Mm -hmm. gradually, that's something that emerges in the interplay between the now and the past. And also, you don't know who's driving at the beginning either, do you? Oh, yeah, I suppose you do. I will never notice, actually. (laughs) I don't think you do. I might have misread it. I don't think you do know at the beginning who was driving 
car is that right well yeah that's true because I just say she sat behind her dad but you're right you don't know necessarily who is who is actually driving the car yeah you're right (laughs) there's all sorts of questions around that and it's good to have Mm -hmm. questions as you read (laughs) and not be told everything yeah for sure there's something else that I was um interested in and without us giving the ending away it seemed to me there are three possible places there's an ending Mm-hmm. story then we have a one month later and mm-hmm. we have a six months later <laughs> and actually any one of those could have been an ending for that story it would have been a very different story had it ended at each of those places mm-hmm. now what I'd like to try and explore without saying what happens in each of those endings is some of the thought processes about why you could take it a step further and a step further were you setting it up for a sequel? I have written a sequel. It's not my next book, though. But I did want to write a sequel because I love those characters so much. And uh, they have so much scope, you know. And there was definitely somewhere else they could go, which I have written in my sequel. Um, so, yes, I did want it to kind of be a setup for a sequel. But also, I was very aware. I hate when you get a cliffhanger ending (laughs) and the next book's not out yet. There's nothing more that drives me crazy. Um, So I wanted to make sure I wasn't doing that to the reader and there was resolution and you had some events definitely being tied off. And yeah, you're right. That could have been a natural ending for a lot of, a lot of the plot, but also I really also really like when a book is cyclical in that the beginning so there's something in the beginning that happens again at the end and you just sort of come full circle, you know, and the character might be doing something exactly the same as the wording on the very first page. And you're like, oh, that's clever, you know, and you just kind of geek out about it as a writer. And that was kind of what um, I wanted to achieve there as well. Mm. And that that does happen. Um, I'm not going to say any more about that at the moment <laughs> either. But I'd like to know... Um, it's your first novel and obviously the editing process was probably a really important um, mm-hmm. part of this for you. Yeah. What did you learn from working with your editors at Chicken House? I had the best time with editorial. I really did. So great. They came with like all these ideas about what I could do, but it wasn't. So the, They told me that they were really good. Actually, they said your plot is fine and the way the plot moves along is great. But they wanted me to pull out the emotional root basically and 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 put depth emotionally in it um and one of those ways was um involving background characters more uh in in events so at first Lydia was just bullied at school and it wasn't really tied to anything she was just kind of bullied but then their edit note was you know maybe you could involve this character maybe you could put her in the car maybe you could um have her be a bigger part of their life and that is one of the best edits I've ever had, I think. I know I've only still only published one book, but that's still going to be one of the best pieces of advice I've ever been given editorially. And it's just like involving your background characters more and having them impact your main character because all these people have their own lives and all these characters have their own wants and desires. And if you can sort of tie them up to your main character, it really impacts the novel, I think. It just makes it so much deeper like everything is kind of interconnected everything is kind of vibing it's important that Lydia's actions have consequences too so mm-hmm. we can see that with you know we can see how people's actions play out on her uh, mm-hmm. but we see also how 
her actions play out on the other characters and we have they have to have some depth for that to have some meaning for us really yeah it, it's what Lydia you're so right what Lydia then ends up doing is so much more impactful as well because it's way more personal yeah mm-hmm. for sure mm. I think I read somewhere that you are involved in mentoring other writers yeah so I'm taking part in Write Mentor this year as a mentor and I'm, I'm so excited. I've, I'm working with this wonderful writer uh, based in Oregon and she is just so good. She's 22 and she's just blowing me away. <laughs> and the reason I wanted to do it was because I remember being that struggling writer who was fishing in the dark for an agent and didn't have any feedback and didn't know if they were doing the right thing and to be able to help someone and just believe in someone's book I know it sounds so cheesy when you say it like that but just if I had had someone do the same thing for me when I was doing when I was writing uh, this book you know it would have it would just would have been so encouraging so I just wanted to be that person for somebody else (laughs) and uh you've already said that you're you're writing a sequel but You've teased us by saying it's not the next thing. So clearly I've got to ask you, what is coming next? So it is another thriller and I have stuck with similar themes. So it's quite psychological, but it's also got a techie edge. And this one involves virtual reality. And that's all I can say. I'm terrible. If you if you ask me any more questions, I really will tell you. <laughs> so I'm not going to. <laughs> I have to thank you for giving me such an exciting page turning read. Oh, My husband, perhaps not so much because I kept the light on until very late <laughs> in the night. Uh, but I do wish you every success with this book. Thank you. Uh, I know how exciting it is to get that first book out yeah. there. You know, you'll have many great books that you get out, no doubt, but that feeling is going to be a really special one. Mm-hmm. And thank you for joining me today in the reading Thank you corner. so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.